Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? Let's do this. I like that. I like she tried something different. <laughs> I like it. Episode we, 245. <laughs> we are going to first Marseille, France, but the majority of our story takes place in New York City, 1971. <clears throat> Largely in Brooklyn. Exactly. We are doing, everybody's been waiting for us to do this one, The French Connection. New York detective Popeye Doyle and his partner chase French heroin smugglers. That's it. Particulars. That's it is. It is indeed. The particulars. The French Connection came out October 7th, 1971. It's considered a neo-noir action thriller. Mm. What makes it neo-noir? I think it's newer than the older okay. noirs <laughs> the, makes Thank it the neo-noir so i guess any noir that comes out now would be the new neo-noir <laughs> because if you say newer noir then people just think that you you're um never mind let's go on moving not, right along not gonna be inappropriate this early in the podcast but, but wait Directed by William Friedkin, who also did The Exorcist, Sorcerer, which we've done Sorcerer. Have we done The Exorcist? No, and you're lucky. Okay. Because we almost did it next week. Okay. I mean, I'll do it. I've seen it. I saw it in the movie theater, and mm. at the Chinese theater. I I've don't never know. Seen it. I read you've never book. seen it? Uh-uh. I read the book. We have to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. I agree. But I... Okay. Okay. He also did Sorcerer. Remember we did that? It was the they were driving the truck. They remember it was Roy Schneider and they were driving the the truck. I forget where he went. Yes. It was someplace. Yes. Wait, Um, that was I with that one? I think so, yeah. That was the action movie? Yeah, it was an action movie and they were <laughs> Driving a truck, and it was. <laughs> I forget where they were. They were either in South America or in yes. Asia. No, yeah, like, and the scene where they had to drive it over the bridge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it was like shockingly a good movie. It was. We yeah. all really liked it, but we yeah. all were like, "Why was it called Sorcerer?" Because yeah. we all, every time you yeah. see that name, you think of like they wizards. Rain similar to what we're experiencing now. Yes, yes. Now I remember. Mm -hmm. He also did The Boys in the Band and upcoming, it's in post-production, The Kane Mutiny. So he's still still going. I thought he passed away. (laughs) Like, oh, guess I was a different director. He also directed the 1966 documentary called The Thin Blue Line. That's not to be confused with the 1988 Errol Morris film. But... This doc, the 1966 documentary that he made, Thin Blue Line, of course, was about police officers. And this influenced um, his work in this film, The French Connection. The screenplay is by Ernest Tidyman, who is best known for novels featuring a character that he made up, John Shaft. Can you dig it? 
Yeah. Tini and I, if we had known, we would have worn our jackets. I know, but oh, Ernest yeah. Tidyman is not African-American. John Shaft was created by a white man. Um, he also co-wrote the screenplay for the Shaft films and Shaft's big score. He also wrote the screenplay for High Plains Drifter and Street People, among others. It's okay. This film is based on the 1969 nonfiction book, The French Connection, by Robin Moore, who also, he wrote, Robin Moore wrote a ton of books, among them The Green Berets, The Happy Hooker, colon, my own story with Javeria Hollander and the Khaki Mafia. Nonfiction means true. Yes. Correct. I still, like, I still get that confused to this day. Me too. Like, why is it so fucking hard? Just call it true and made up. Yeah. (laughs) We don't need these names. That's exactly how I am with make-believe section and true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. It's edited by Gerald B. Greenberg, who he began as an assistant to D.D. Allen, and he also edited Heaven's Gate, Apocalypse Now, Scarface, Christmas Vacation, and The Accused, just to name a few. This guy's wow. done a lot. Christmas Vacation in there with all those very dark ones. Yeah. Okay. Well, but there's also a ton of other ones. I was just... I mean, this guy worked on so many because he was also an assistant on D.D. Allen. So he was working with all the things that D.D. Allen did, which was a ton of stuff. He, he like it was it's just wild. So, yeah, I did just pick out Christmas Vacation because I was like, that's hilarious. Yes, exactly. It, the music is by Don Ellis, who also did the Seven Ups, Ruby and Kansas City Bomber. And the director of photography is Owen Roisman, who also did Network, Three Days of the Condor. Tootsie and Liza with a Z, among many others. I know. Really? No. No. Not my movies. (laughs) Okay, mark that one off. Check. (laughs) Mental note. Check. (laughs) Starring Gene Hackman as Detective Jimmy Popeye Doyle, who is really based on a man named Eddie Egan. Gene Hackman is 41, around 41 when this film is made. He was also in the movie we did last week, The Conversation, Bonnie and Clyde, The Royal Tenenbaums, and Mississippi Burning, among others. We have Fernando Ray as Alan Frog One, Charnier, Alain. Oh, excuse me. He is a Spanish film actor. (laughs) He was also in The French Connection 2, Christiana and the discreet charm of the bourgeoisies. Bourgeois. I have a nerd alert about him. Oh, what? I think we have the oh. same one. Go ahead. It's funny. The the director contacted somebody and said he wanted this person he saw in this movie. And so dude got on a plane, Elaine got on a plane, came over, and when he met him in the airport, he was like, no, this is the wrong dude. <laughs> But the other dude that he wanted only spoke Spanish, so he he couldn't have spoken the English and the French, and so it worked out. But yeah, yeah there's this famous film director, Louis Louis. I don't know how you say it, Louis or Louis, but Brunel. And that's one of those that we're gonna have to pick one of his movies because 
when I was in film school, one of my professors loved his kind of movies and they completely went over my head. Oh, okay. So wow, Jeannie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know about that. We couldn't even understand the conversation. <laughs> it, it was a lot of like this, a similar kind of thing, but it was a different film director. So this guy, um, Friedkin watched one of Brunwell's films and liked a guy that was had a small part. And so he told the casting agent, hey, give me this Spanish actor who was in this Brunwell films. And Fernando Rey is a Spanish actor, and he's also been in a bunch of Brunwell films. So the casting, this is they don't have Google and IMDb right. and stuff. Yeah. So the casting director was just like, all right, here's the guy. And they're like, ah, damn, no. And then they, they tracked down the other guy, and like you said, he didn't really speak it. And so this guy, Fernando Rey, they um they dubbed his French. Really? Yeah, when they when they saw wow. the, the final, they were like, ah, this is this is not good. He was so good. I yeah, mean, kept... he w- I totally bought him as dude. Mm-hmm. We have Roy Scheider as Detective Buddy Cloudy Russo. He was also in Clute, Jaws, Sorcerer, All That wow. Jazz, and The Seven Ups, just to name a few. Hmm. Yeah, he's been, a, he was in a lot of stuff, especially in the 70s, man. That was Roy Scheider time. Like I yeah. said, Jaws, you know? Um, we have Tony Lo Bianca, Bianco as Salvatore Sal Boca. He was in Serpico, The Seven Ups, and he played Johnny Roselli, who is, I guess, a famous uh, underworld character, I will say, oh. in the film Nixon. So I threw oh. that in for you, Teeny, in case you were like, ah, yes, I remember Johnny Roselli. And we have Bill Hickman as FBI agent Bill Muldrig. In real life, Bill Hickman was a stunt driver and a stunt coordinator. He also was in the movies The Seven Ups, Bullet, and Patton. Here's a great nerd alert. In 1963, so this is his peak time when he's a stunt driver and coordinator. He and a fellow stuntman witnessed a bank robber on a high, like speed past them on the 101 near Laurel, the Laurel Canyon off ramp. This is very close to me. Oh, After, and then somehow they, they, again, this is according to Wikipedia, so who knows? But I did Google it and saw the, okay, I'll save it. Um, so they, they, this guy, bank robber, flies by. They see the bank robber, he shoots a police officer in the chest. And so they decide Bill Hickman uses his particular skills to chase down this bank robber down Laurel Canyon until the oh, police God. could catch up. And they catch up to him in a North Hollywood parking lot. This is 1963. And they have a shootout and the um, robber is shot and killed. And so I Googled because in Wikipedia they had the, the um, bank robber's name. And so I Googled it to see if it was real. And the only thing that came up was a literal picture of this guy in the stretcher <laughs> as he's being taken away. And so he eventually died from his injuries. Uh-huh. So I thought that was wild that those guys are just like, oh, we've got nothing but time. <laughs> yeah, Ma, you you were just being very funny with your muting on and off. And I tried. <laughs> At least I had the 
Okay, moving on. <laughs> we have Eddie Egan, who was <coughs> the real-life cop that this was based on. <laughs> I ain't trying no more. <laughs> As Captain Walt Simonson, um, his... Egan's real-life nickname was Popeye. That's how Popeye Doyle uh, got his okay. name. And there's other movie where he is played by Robert Duvall in the film Badge 373. Huh. Um, and so this Eddie Egan and Sonny Grosso, who is the played FBI agent, Clyde, Con- Clyde Klein. Clyde Klein. FBI agent Clyde Klein. Wow, mm. that's hard to say. Um, so Eddie and Sonny were the real-life police officers who were on this real-life case. And they were police officers in the 70s in New York. And um, they really leaned into it and like, got into acting and being consultants. And um term that we're going to say a lot on this podcast, copaganda. So... <laughs> Yeah. All right. So those are the particulars. But I will say that before like, we get into all of this, that I, despite how you may end up uh, thinking that I think about this film, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought, like, great cast of characters, fun, thrilling. Too. Yeah. Had so, my interest the whole time. It did. Yeah. And it, there, are, there are problematic things, but I uh, said before we started that I have very few notes because there was not time to take notes there like and I didn't even want to pause it to write down a quote I I I might just have one quote um so yeah I thoroughly enjoyed it too and it's totally a dude's movie I mean I feel like but you know it it was great I loved it okay I'm going to set the table <clears throat> The movie starts in Marseille, France, with a dude eating a pastry that looked phenomenal. <laughs> there is a Lincoln Continental on the streets of Marseille. Now, if you've been to smaller towns in Europe, how did they navigate that Lincoln Continental through those streets? I do not know. I don't Moving know. on. Uh, a baguette and, a, and and pastry dude. Oh, a continental in the streets of Marseille. A baguette and a and pastry dude. Pastry dude is shot in the face. We switched to New York, and and so the guy who shot him. I said, take the baguette. He only took a bite off the baguette. Don't leave a baguette in the street to get bloody. It's fresh. We switch to New York City where Popeye is playing Santa Claus on the street. What ensues is chase after chase as Popeye and his partner continue to chase drug smugglers and dealers. What could go wrong? Indeed. So there you have it. Go watch The French Connection because it's about to get spoiled for you. Uh, POC, I have lots. We started off with lots of I didn't, people of color. I didn't even put a number down. Mm-mm, there was a lot couldn't. of black and brown people. They were all harassed and beaten up by the police. What was with their glee. With, with glee. glee. Every time these two cops go into a, a bar, they they treat everyone like they're criminals. 
What was their crime at the bar? Popeye is an alcoholic. These guys, you know, it was just unbelievable. Except there was the singing group at the Copacabana. Mm-hmm. That was a real singing group, the Three Degrees. Because they were there that night. They really did shoot at the Copacabana. And that was the group that was performing. Oh, cool. Oh. hmm And I will notice that they didn't get roughed up because they're entertainers. Even the black undercover cop gets roughed up. Note, the black undercover cop when they when he was you know the, taking him into the back room so to make it you know keep his cover going notice that it wasn't the black cop that was like all right come on hit me right here make it no. look good it was Popeye who was the one who quote remembered he has to punch the man in the face the black cop in the subway he gets shot there's every racial and ethnic slur gets thrown about um talking about obviously the n-word we've got um using slurs against our spanish-speaking brothers and sisters mm-hmm. man the shots that the italians take they're talking about italians making jokes about how they're all cousins um no it was something and notice how and like every time they go into a bar they're like i said they were like roughing up people but like they didn't run up on anybody at the Copacabana. Notice, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> yeah, they were just. And you like, know there was drugs there. So much. That's the reason they were at the Copacabana. Which more on that later. So that there's the pow- power of cast. <laughs> okay, I I did have uh, for cast the difference in the way people of color were treated. Lots of kicking. As well as the slurs and such. Yes. Yeah. Kiss, kicking, punching. Yes. Yeah. Disrespect. Disrespect. Mm-hmm. So we are to nerd alerts and Christine and I are on pins and needles. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Because usually we do cast here, but the cast is going to come in the nerd alert. Okay. So to get it out of the way, the top five films of 1971. Number five was Diamonds Are Forever. Number four was The Summer of 42. Number three was this film, The French Connection. Okay. So it was a hit. Number two was Billy Jack. And the number one uh, money-making film of 1971 was Fiddler on the Roof. Oh. I've never seen Fiddler on the Roof. I don't think I have either, actually. It's, so, a, it's a musical. Like I've seen Singing in the Rain, the, the Singing in the Rain number. That's from that movie, right? I don't even know. I just it's know that that I just know like oh, Fiddler on the Roof and like Fiddler on the Roof is is um, it's a Jewish story. Jewish isn't it? story. Jewish story. Like I, I'm not even sure the year of it, but um, a long time ago, 1971. Oh, <laughs> you're saying of the uh, okay? I see. I see. I see. The. The Oscars for Best Never Picture know. are Al- Nicholas and Alexandra. Oh. The, mm-hmm. the, the Last Picture Show. Now, be, now, before you go, oh, I saw Nicholas and Alexandra in when I was in school, and it was a two VHS movie. Yeah, it's, it so, would be long. It's long. Um, Fiddler on the Roof was nominated for Best Picture. A Clockwork Orange. 
Tini, we did that before you. That is a freaky movie. Oh, yeah. Ooh. We we didn't we didn't I we didn't care for it too much. Oh. It was so problematic. It was, it was very um. It was like um. It was very m- masculine, but in like a not good way. It was it was sort of like being on a on a trip of psychedelics. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, Ma would know. Mm-hmm. More on that in Nerd Alerts coming up. Um, we have. Oh, and the the winner for Best Picture, The French Connection. Yeah. So this is the film that won. Okay, so Nerd Alerts. This film came out in October 1971. So in 1971, a lot of stuff happened. We've done other movies in 1971, so there's other stuff. Nixon declares the war on drugs in 1971. Oh. So also in 1971... War on black people is what he declared. Right. Sorry. Well, also in 1971, there's the Convention on Psychotropic Substances that's signed in Vienna. And that was a United Nations treaty to control psychoactive drugs such as amphetamine-type stimulants, barbiturates, benzofendrazines, and psychedelics. The previous 1961 Convention on Narcotics didn't ban many of these drugs because they weren't discovered at the time. So they had made the discoveries in the 60s, and so they put the ban on it. So um, governments opposed these drugs because they were like, these psychedelics... They lead to lowered moral standards. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important to point out that the United Nations Treaty, this convention that was signed in Vienna, it recognizes scientific and medical use of psychoactive drugs. Also in 1971, though, the United States had its Controlled Substances Act of 71, hence war on drugs. So this was stricter than the convention and tightly restricted the category of drugs called Schedule 1. So Schedule 1 drugs are, there's a high potential for abuse, there's no medical use involved. Is there a potential for addiction? They say it's not safe even under medical supervision. So what kind of drugs are listed in Schedule 1? You can go online and there's so many drugs but here's just ones that i cleaned it up um opioids such as fentanyl and really and and uh opium derivatives such as heroin lsd mescaline (laughs) Ah! psilocybin and marijuana that's a schedule one drug um and the why it's important to point out that these are schedule ones is that, and especially because I was saying how um, the United States was stricter than the convention. So it hurt with the study of these drugs. So because you, you know, you had these LSDs and these psilocybin, like we're just now people because of um, people really taking into account what the war on drugs really was about Mm-hmm. Um, that things such as you know, marijuana laws and all of that are, are, they're like slowly coming, people are, you know, doing a 180 on them. Big surprise. But in those 50 years, a lot of study 
a lot of scientific study and stuff has not happened. And it's really tragic because these drugs have been, it's very promising in what they're doing with things such as PTSD and trauma mm -hmm. and helping people get off of stuff like heroin and opioids. opioids. Um, so you have to think of it, you know, how many World War II, Korean War, mm -hmm. Vietnam veterans could have been helped from this, um, let alone all the other people who live traumatic lives and stuff. Um, I don't know, maybe even somebody like Nixon with all of his paranoia could have been helped by... He might have been on him when he was talking to Lincoln in the White House. <laughs> okay. He was he was talking to Abe in the White House? Yeah. Huh. He, he saw ghosts in the White House. Well, that's what I've been told. <laughs> so it's, it's just pretty interesting that there's this war on drugs. And again... It's the the cost of caste because who the people it was brown and black communities and stuff who really it was really a war on and it goes to the beginning of caste and making that school to prison pipeline and all that kind of thing because when you have to when you no longer have forced free labor you have to get cheap labor elsewhere and you can get Gotta cheap fill labor up those prisons exactly. So that was the war on drugs. Also, <clears throat> in 19, okay, in 1971, there was this thing called the Citizens Commission to Investigate the FBI. Now, this was an activist group in the early 70s, and their only known action was breaking into a two-man office, FBI office, in Media, Pennsylvania, and they stole 1,000 classified documents. They used the fight of the century, which took place on March 8th, 1971. And that was a heavyweight fight between Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali. Ooh. And they used that as cover. They researched and prepped. This is like a heist film. This is like Ocean's Eleven. They researched and prepped. One of them was a woman who posed as a student studying FBI practices practices of hiring women and was allowed access to the interior of the building where she took note of security and the layout. So like some undercover boss shit. Right. So this is a small two man. It's just media Pennsylvania. It's small. It's a small little office, you know, just this outpost. It isn't in Philadelphia. It's just this really small little place. And yeah, exactly. Totally doing that. So the heist took less than an hour. And I'd just like to point out that this is this is taking cast and using it to destroy cast from the inside. I love it. They mailed those documents that they stole to several newspapers, but most of them wouldn't publish them because they're like, you stole this from the FBI. But the Washington Post eventually did publish them after doing their due diligence of the Washington Post. They're like, all right, you just gave us these documents, but like, we still got to check this stuff out. I love out. the old Washington Post. Okay. So what were these thousands of documents? What was the big deal? These documents that were stole in March of 1971 revealed for the first time the existence of the COINTEL operation of the FBI. Now, COINTELPRO, 
What was that? That was the covert and illegal projects that were done by the FBI, surveilling, infiltrating, discrediting, and disrupting domestic American political organizations, such as the Black Panther Party, civil rights leaders like Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. Also, though, environmentalists, animal rights organizations, women's rights groups, the American Indian Movement. Mm-hmm. The American Indian Movement, Chicano and Mexican American groups such as the United mm-hmm. Farm Workers, even the KKK. COINTELPRO was an operation in effect from 1956 until, you guessed it, 1971, <laughs> when these papers were stolen and the cat was out of the bag. These papers proved what many communities <laughs> knew was going on. These proved that the FBI was wiretapping Martin Luther King. Right. It proved that they were on purpose targeting the Black Panther Party in specific, specifically, and specifically in 1969 had an operation to, quote, neutralize by being assassinated. Fred Hampton, like it proved that Fred Hampton was killed in a raid that was a COINTEL pro operation. Mm-hmm. They would imprison and publicly humiliate and falsely charge Black Panther people, party members with crimes. It's the reason why, like, when I was growing up, I would hear about the Black Panther Party, but then everything that you would see in media and society, it would show them on the the steps of the Sacramento, the California you know, state building with guns. And that, oh, they, these are black militants and they're they're bad. The Black Panther Party was not racist at all. In fact, they knew that it was power in the poor people. And that's why right. that's why they were so dangerous. And the COINTELPRO went to such lengths to neutralize them because they knew that if you got the brown... It's like when you can listen to what we went over it because this is basically the Fred Hampton story is Jesus and the Black Messiah. Mm-hmm. And so after Martin Luther... Or not Martin Luther... After Malcolm X was killed... FBI went in this another COINTEL pro thing was to keep another black messiah from from emerging. Mm-hmm. So they went anybody that they were like, oh, this person is charismatic and speaking the truth and they're getting um, like who's listening to them. Oh, it's a whole bunch of a rainbow coalition, a rainbow alliance that that put crosshairs on you. So remember when we were doing James Cromwell, the actor, he was in Babe, he was in um, The Queen, and he was also in, I think, Murder by Death, like a young, Mm -hmm. and we talked about how, like, as an, um, he was friends with one of the gentlemen who was murdered in uh, Freedom Rider, Um, and how I was like, man, he went, like, he was about that life, he helped defend 13 Black Panther Party members who were charged in New York City and charged with conspiracy. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Well, those 13 Black Panther Party members were also known for, as a larger group called the Panther 21 who were arrested. And one of those that was arrested and of the 13 that, you know, Cromwell helped, I, I mean, he wasn't alone, but, you know, was, was about it, was a woman named Afini Shakur. And Afini Shakur, she represented herself in a trial that I think to this day is still one of the longest trials or maybe the longest trial in like New York state history. 
Because oh, wow. and it's it it was all trumped up charges because of this COINTELPRO. The trial ended. Now remember, it was March that the break-in happened. The trial ended on May fifteenth, nineteen seventy-one, and they were acquitted. Like Afini Shakur acquitted, and they said that she like Afini Shakur was a brilliant, brilliant woman, mm-hmm. and she represented herself. And because she, I mean, she was one of the great organizers of the Black Panther Party because she knew her stuff and she talked about it and broke things down in a way that everybody was like, yo, what the fuck? And then Mm -hmm. the the papers come out and stuff. So the trial ended on May 15th. On June 16th, 1971, she gives birth to a son named Tupac Amaro Shakur. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Tupac. Tupac. Tupac was um, in the womb while his mother's wow. defending her life. There is a fantastic Hulu documentary on right now called Dear Mama, and it's about Tupac Shakur, but it's also equally about his mother, which I always knew that she was in the Black Panther Party, and uh, she went on to have substance abuse issues and, and, you know, got clean and stuff and that. But it was all through Tupac's eyes. But this documentary does a fantastic job of kind of laying out all the stuff that I'm talking about. So I oddly highly- enough, I just heard I was walking the dog this morning and I, there are two men having a conversation. And then one of them said, one of them goes, Tupac once said, be careful who you fuck with and be careful who you don't fuck with. So I've been living my life like that th- today. Words of wisdom for today. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it's pretty wild when you look at it and then you, you look at what happened to him. And, and um, I think like new episodes are out every Saturday. So I watched the first three that are up and I uh, highly recommend it. Going on. These COINTELPRO docs that were stolen also showed a man by the name of Gary Thomas Rowe, who was in the KKK. And he was a paid FBI informant. So he was in the Ku Klux Klan and somehow like the FBI was paying him to get information because they were also, you know, okay, what's the KKK up to? But this guy who's getting paid by the FBI was involved in Viola Luzo's murder. Uh, Remember, she was a white woman. I believe it had to do with like the also like the Freedom Ride stuff. And the FBI was also involved in slandering that woman's name, saying that she ran away from her family to sleep with black men. And mm. when she was like, no, this is fucked up. I'm, I'm, I'm going right. to do something about it. He was also involved in the attacks with free, the Freedom Riders, like I mentioned. And um, also, you know, had involvement with the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing. So awesome. The, the FBI had a paid informant, but like couldn't stop any of those things, I guess, because you had to keep oh, because, collecting yeah, information yeah. on yeah. what the Klan was. OK, mm-hmm. so in a statement that was phoned in from a payphone, this is what um, one of this. Uh, this is just a statement. So, quote. On the night of March 8th, 1971, the Citizens Commission to investigate the FBI removed files from the Media Pennsylvania Office of the FBI. These files will now be studied to determine, one, the nature and extent of surveillance and intimidation carried on by this office of the FBI, particularly against groups and individuals working for a more just, humane, and peaceful society. Two, 
to determine how much of the FBI's efforts are spent on relatively minor crimes by the poor and the Mm -hmm. powerless Mm -hmm. against whom they can get a more glamorous conviction rate. Instead of investigating truly serious crimes by those with money and influence, which cause great damage to the lives of many people, crimes such as war profiteering, monopolistic practices, institutional racism, organized crime, and the mass distribution of illegal drugs. Finally, three, the extent of illegal practices by the FBI, such as eavesdropping, entrapment, and the use of provocateurs and informers. So, who were these citizens commissioned to investigate the FBI who came up with this heist and broke in? Who are they? Well, the case went unsolved until 2014, when five of the eight went public. Yeah, that's right. The FBI never solved this case. They had over 200 agents working on it, and they never closed it. They had to close the case after five years statute of limitations ran out. Ha, ha, ha. I knew the FBI. It was finally like, all right, statute's up. It's 2014. Let me come out. So it comes out. One of them that came out, like it was me, was a man named John C. Raines. John C. Raines was a white man who was studying Christian social ethics, and he was invited in 1961 to start traveling as part of the Freedom Riders to integrate buses in the South. That's because someone came up with a great idea that was like, you know what? It might be kind of a good idea to also have some white kids on these Freedom Rides, just because if something happens to them, like... That will get investigated. People are going to pay attention if a mm-hmm. white person dies. Yeah. Right. So there, James witnessed firsthand what was going on. And you could say that he got radicalized by the murders of James Cheney, Michael Schwerner, and Andrew Goodman in 1964, which was the basis of the film Mississippi Bernie that Gene Hackman was also in. Uh-huh. So... He went on to become a professor of religion, and he taught at Temple University for over 40 years. He was even, uh, he was even, like, the FBI came to him and was like, hey, you know anything about this? And he was just indignant that, 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 the, that the paper would publish such things, you know? And so I guess, he, I guess they were like, this white man don't know. He, he's fine. So little did they know. Ha ha. All right, so who financially supported the Freedom Riders? And who was, like, one of the people who thought that it was probably a good idea to get some white kids involved in this? You know, like, who... I mean, sending people down to bus rides, like, that ain't cheap. It costs money. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody had to pay for it. Harry Belafonte. Oh, Harry! (laughs) Oh, man, I don't... Oh, stop it, Ma. Jeez. (laughs) What the fuck? Well, he passed away this week. And it was just wild because I heard this story from on the radio about like this John C. Raines and and his whole connection to Harry Belafonte. And I was like, oh, man, that's wild. And then for it to like the, the, the crime, like the, not the crime, the the heist to take place in 1971. Like, I was like, my mind was blown. And plus it was wild because like Harry Belafonte did so much and 
he was like paranoid. You know, he yeah. saw he saw Martin Luther King killed. He saw like so many people killed. He famously in Sydney Portier almost died and you know doing those freedom rides and stuff. He organized the March on Washington, all this stuff. Um, and so like that, like, you know, he 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 admits it that he wasn't great to women in his life because oh. he was very like, you know, paranoid and he would get angry and had a lot of anger and didn't know who he could trust, you know, just seeing like what they were doing to, to the Black Panther Party and all of this. And so he decided that he was going to get himself into therapy. And so he started going to therapy. And then I think the uh, it was I think that his therapist manager or her husband or wife, who the spouse of his therapist, um, he was like, OK, this is my therapist. I trust these people. I'm going to make them be my manager. And it was because of these documents that were stolen by John C. Raines and his, um, you know, fellow compatriots that came out with this COINTELPRO papers that he found out, that Harry Belafonte found out, yo, not only were you right, but your therapist and manager are also informants and have been informing <laughs> on you and the FBI. Oh, my. Yeah. My. So, like... It's that old saying of you're not paranoid if it's true and just how wild that all of that was and that he was able to do all of this because I, I kind of like slid in earlier how all the black people in this film got roughed up except for the entertainers because in this country black people are cool right. if, if we're entertaining the masses and Harry Belafonte entertained the masses it took all that money and used it and he just trickled down that like these white people were like you know what we're gonna do we're gonna go in and we're gonna break in and we're gonna steal and show everything and they also um john c rings he also broke in and stole like draft information and stuff like that so just getting in to that crazy good trouble outstanding and back to tupac you know Look out for who you're fucking with and who you aren't fucking with. Well, wow. I did all of that research. like So that was like during the week. And then I find out like, oh, my God, like in 1971, this is when that breaking happened that I was that I heard about on the radio. And then later in the evening, I'm like, oh, here's the Tupac documentary. Let me put that on. And then to find out that like I knew that like not only was a Feeney Shakur, but just how much of the COINTELPRO like that was what fucked her up and so many of like mm -hmm. Tupac like the people in Tupac's life and how it had a direct um correlation to her life and thus in his and how because of those documents like they were able to to completely be acquitted yeah. you know of of all these trumped up charges because these documents showed like they're putting people away for things that have nothing to that they're completely innocent of and it was just wild. Like after I written everything up, I was just, it's, oh my gosh, it's it's all the same. It was just this weird, like goosebumpy thing of how like it's all interconnected. Yeah, and it gets connected into this because I'm pretty sure those FBI agents were in the in the COINTELPRO and and they're shaking down, you know, the small time drug people and like like all of that. It's all connected. I didn't even know Harry Belafonte died this week. I was, it was uh, overshadowed by Jerry Springer, I guess. 
It was, I think, the same day. I think it was before. It, well, a day apart or something. Yeah, it like must have been a day apart. Harry Belafonte died before. Because I was like, ha, but then also, like, Harry, Black Man lived to be 96. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And, and I did so much. Whew, that was a ride. Wow. Okay. We are to reheatables. So uh, we're to negative reheatables. And my first one is big hair. I mean, that, what? What? Those, Who had the big hair? The women in the oh. club. Oh, my God. Uh, chewing gum. Uh, Popeye chewed way too much gum. <laughs> but. Not good if you grind your teeth. I can't chew gum. Oh, thank God. Hmm, interesting. Um, if you're going to be trailing people on the street, why are you going to wear the hat that nobody else has on anywhere you look? Isn't is that, that kind of a dead giveaway? Is that called a pork pie hat? I, it's called a disgusting hat. I hate it. <laughs> it's called a, are you kidding me? Hat? Now, when he went into the one club and and was, you know, retrieving all of everybody's um, paraphernalia. He, he used it to put everything in. But really? That, he was such I a just, dick. He was such a, just a dick to be a yeah, dick. He was a dick. Okay. Also, chiffon scarves. No, not, no. No, just no. Okay. No. Okay, others. I only wrote one bad, one negative. And it was, ain't no way you're running down the sidewalk in that long in Brooklyn without running into a person. That scene where they're chasing him mm-hmm. and just conveniently there's no one on the sidewalks. Mm-hmm. Oh, are you talking about when they're chasing, like at the beginning? When he, yeah. Yeah, they're chasing Willie. I had that because, Willie, there's no way that he should have, like Willie definitely should have outrun those two. Yes. And then he decides to go off road into the rubble, and that's yeah. where he like trips it and like he messes up himself. his ankles. Exactly, you played yourself, Willie. What the hell? It was obvious who had actually run uh, before. It, the The running form of the different people was interesting. <laughs> well, people have different running forms that are just interesting. Like I. I shudder when I see myself in the mirror, like in a glass as I'm running by. I'm like, that's what I look like? Oh, my gosh. This is, I, I feel like a gazelle. And then I see myself and I'm like, you look like a square wheel. What is this? Were, were those all your negatives, Teeny? Yeah. I have like that first shot. Oh, it says Marseille. Mar- how do you say it? Marseille. And I was just like, what? That? It looks so run down and non picturesque. And then they get to Elaine's, you know, thing. And I'm like, ah, yes, that's, that's Marseille. Exactly. There we go. But, but every town has two. Yes, Sorry. you got, you have the have and the have not. Exactly. Um, this was my question. I don't know if it got answered, but I wonder: Do the French really just carry bread under their arms? Oh, Blair said that 
She said only during the evening commute. So I guess it's a yes. Oh. (laughs) Do they like wipe it down? It's just in the evening commute. It's just like, it's a crust. It's not like a... A, a melon grind where you you eat the inside yeah, but you're, of you're, it. They're probably, I mean, look, they have le- the French have less germs. I think we all know that. <laughs> <laughs> the germs say no, 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 not on my French. Yeah, day. they don't. There's less preservatives, less germs in their in their bodies because of that. Scientific fact. Look it up. Don't hmm. look it up. I I don't know. They're I mean, I think that there are many native populations around the world who would be, be like, excuse me? <laughs> Our whole- oh, yeah. Well, they don't have germs. Yeah, I'm not saying they have the least amount of germs. I'm just saying they have less germs than us. There you go. Okay. That is a hot take. Putting that down on the- We are the only ones that, we were the only ones that would be concerned about that. That's right. The That's crust true. is like the outside of, the crust is like the packaging. And yeah, you're going to eat it, but- Plus, if you heat it up in the oven, then it kills it. Well, the wine probably kills. You have it and you have the wine Mm -hmm. and then it kills it going down. So, okay. I was just like, wow, just out here willy-nilly. But, hey. (laughs) However, uh, c'est la vie, I guess. I don't know what that means. (laughs) So is life. Ah, see? So it did work. Um, I have, okay, this is funny. Also, in that scene where, where he was getting chased down, there was just a fire <laughs> going around. And I, yeah. I put the note down. I'm like, there's just a fire and nobody is concerned about it at all. Um, But then that made me laugh because last Saturday I was running and there was a trash can on fire. <laughs> Except <laughs> I did just keep running. But I, yeah. it was on the corner and there was a bus that had that was stopped. There were like there were a whole bunch of people out and about so I was like I don't need like this is under control you know but it was just funny because everybody was kind of doing exactly <laughs> what they were doing I'm like wow that's literally a trash can on fire <laughs> uh hey I'm in the middle of a Tabata I can't be stopping no <laughs> <laughs> problem um I like how the smugglers totally would have gotten away with their whole smuggling thing if it hadn't been for Popeye at the Copacabana, wondering what those young Italians, how those young Italians had so much money. Yes. It was yes. totally cast. Yeah. It, it was totally European cast of like, hey, who are, those, who are those young Italians hanging out with those older Italians just throwing money around? Something nefarious is afoot. Um, and then when Popeye, he says, police emergency, I need your car. <laughs> yeah. That's my worst fear. Because I have honestly, heard of that before. Yeah, but I've never vehicles. Yeah. And do you want your car back after that? No. Yeah, I mean, you probably get your car back in that condition, right? Which brings me to my next battery heatable. So they tow the car in to the police place. Mm-hmm. And they tear that mofo apart. And Very they hard. were... They were not gentle. They were no. not gentle. About, they were ripping, denting everything. And yet, when they Pristine. come back to pick it up, it's like, it's like you went to caliber collision. It's just. Yeah. In how much time? 
Because they again, they were they were like super rough with it, and they put everything back so that when they went to take out the stuff, nobody was like, "Oh wait, I don't I don't know this this this, this carpeting is ripped." No, no, like factory. So who? I was just what is the what is the timetable on this? I have so many questions here. So maybe they maybe they could return it back to the guy. Yeah, <laughs> and. Why did it take that long to figure out to check the weight? Well, I have I I have that in my good reheatables, but it's not Okay, so we are to good reheatables. <clears throat> Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was filmed in Brooklyn, Teeny. A lot of it was. Um my my good reheatable was the filmmaking that showed the juxtaposition mm-hmm. of the two lives, Popeye's life and the and Elaine's life. I mean, it was at first it was okay, uh, Marseille has bad parts and seedy parts, but then you see where Elaine lives and you see where Popeye lives. But the best one was them eating in that restaurant. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, yeah. And Popeye's out. And evidently in 1971, when this was being shot, it was really a cold winter. I mean, the cameras were freezing and everything. Popeye's out there. His feet are cold. His hands are cold. He gets a slice with some nasty coffee. And those people are eating the best meal Well, it was ever. hilarious. They <laughs> yeah. had... Um, well, I wrote it down. Escargot, mm-hmm. French French onion soup. I mean, oh. and you knew and that it was in the right. I kept fry. waiting for the French fries to come out, but then they did serve coffee as a French press. Yes, <laughs> this is perfect. Yes, and and I think they had um, Chateaubriand. They the the meat. And then all the vegetables, oh, that, yeah, that's, you know, taste oh, I love that. freaking amazing. And I you mean, know, it had to be good because Elaine is French and he's not going to go to uh, a shitty French restaurant exactly, in New York. Exactly. And Popeye's eating a slice. <laughs> I mean, the slice did. I, I did wonder. I was like, oh, but is that like an amazing slice? It's but, an amazing slice. I said, I bet it was a dollar. Colder than hell out there. Colder oh, than hell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, those my my positives were eating al fresco. Yeah, is that butter? Is that just eating with al butter? That's just eating outside. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) with lots of butter. Probably butter. butter. (laughs) I feel like the French like created outdoor dining, like in that way. (laughs) What a Francophile you've turned into. Only <laughs> since this movie. I mean, we know the I don't native remember. people really. <laughs> you can tell me the native people eat al fresco. But... That's true. <laughs> um, the shops in the alleyways mm-hmm. in France. That's mm-hmm. cute. It reminds me of some places in Soho. Um, the Canada Dry logo had, hasn't changed a bit. Iconic. Uh, dormant outfits haven't changed much. Mm-mm. 
cigarette machines, I just like the novelty of them. Not novelty anymore. I just like them. We have one. Yeah. That holds our tri- knickknacks. Bike store. Oh, the there was one scene where he goes into Popeye's house and he couldn't get in and the bike was blocking the door. And I was like, that's so accurate. Yes. In New York. <laughs> Buying a car for $25. Yes, the auctions. They still do those auctions, but I wonder how much Mm -hmm. they are. I don't think $25 is going to get you a car. No. Uh, Now, this movie was made three years before the conversation, and they have much better recording technology than those ding-dongs in the conversation (laughs) did. So I hope that whatever convention they were at, they picked up some of this recording technology (laughs) because I could hear every word. Are you talking about like the the club scene and stuff? When when Popeye when they're at the Copacabana and you could hear every word that they were when they were like listening in on a conversation phone conversation. Oh oh yeah yeah yeah. That's yo oh, yeah that is that is true. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's about it. I have Ma Cloudy. Doing the good detective work, comparing the weight of the car to the owner's manual, and how like that was in 1971. So again, it was all done by hand. They didn't have Google, right, Google right. to look it up, and like that's how he pieced it together. Versus Doyle Popeye, who just went by hunches. Yeah, and tear it all apart. Just tear it apart. If they had just done that first, you would see. Do we need to tear it apart? Yeah, but then they they did, and and then I like like the the he's like we torn it all apart. Well, except for, except for and I think he, yeah, then you didn't tear it all apart. But <laughs> I do I did like that because I get that what police work should be. You're following the facts. You're detecting. But Popeye's like, no, I just feel it. I got a hunch, and yeah. like that's not good police work. Um. I like this is what I was asking you, T because the sound when they were at the Copa Cabana, I like how it's completely unrealistic because they're at a you know a bar and there's music going on, but yet it's the audio is zoomed in on them, so we hear them clearly while they're whispering to each other. I thought it was like an auditory version of a camera zooming in. Like that scene from the conversation, the first scene, when it's like the long shot and then the camera zooms in. And how this was like the auditory version of that, where all of the excess sound goes away. And we're just zooming in and just listening to what we say. Um, I like the music in the garage and stakeout scene, how it was so tense. It was like, and you're just like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And then it was totally... The music totally cut out, and it was just silent when they, as they were taking apart the car. And it was it had the documentary camera work that I have mm-hmm. some tasty titties on that. I I cracked up at just Sal and Angie's as a the a name of a place. <laughs> it was a like a dining establishment. Sal and it's Sal and Angie's. I'm like that place sounds delicious. I would yeah. definitely go on Sal and Angie's. I don't need a newspaper from there, though. No. Um, I love the, like, it was pretty much like a dance sequence when they were on the train, and it was Popeye and yeah. Elaine, and he knew that they were, it was just that, that it, I was just like, this is hilarious. 
Um, what happened to his grape drink that he ordered? Because that made me laugh that Popeye ordered a grape drink from the place. And yeah. then did you notice those cups? It was those those cone yeah. cups. Yeah. But then they had like the plastic thing to put in the cone cup so you could set it down like it was a cup. The 70s were wild. That was yeah. just really funny to me. Like, okay, we're going to have this cup and it's just a cone, but you can't place it down. So we're just going to make another thing to place it down instead of yeah. just making a cup. It's funny. Um, There were many po- real life police officers objected to when the hitman was shot in the back <laughs> because they were like shooting someone in the back. That's simply murder. That's not self-defense. And then the director, William Friedkin, said, well, that's what Egan definitely would have done. And Egan was there on the set. Mm-hmm. And then also, look, I am, I am by no means what I would consider like an overall fan of the cops. But I will point out that we had just seen this hitman murder. Well, I don't know if the person's dead, but he sniped an innocent woman. Yeah. So, I mean, he's definitely guilty, and we saw that. And then this was at the time when I I, I got to this part of the movie, and then I was like, I'm getting, I'm falling asleep. I gotta cut it. So then I did all of like the nerd alerts and the research, and then came back. And so when I hit play again, I had learned that in real life, the police officer Egan had been orphaned at age 12, and I was like, ah. A lot of these things make sense now. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, I'm not, like, excusing it or anything, but I'm like, ah, yes, this is a, mm-hmm. this is a man who has been orphaned since he was 12, mm-hmm. and he's definitely not a good cop, but um, an interesting character, I will say. Does, does make for quite entertainment. So I also, just the, the police, I'm like, where, we need more of you all. Who are like, that's simply murder, getting shot in the back. Yeah. 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 Where's that today? Okay. The, okay. Wait. The, okay. Stop. Moving on. Uh, Quotes. My only one is police. I need your car, which is not a quote that comes up as one of the famous quotes from this movie. Other quote. Um, I have, come on, come on, shake your ass. I wrote that down. (laughs) And move calmly, move cautiously, you'll never be sorry. Ah. I'm guessing Popeye did not say that, or did he? Uh, Yeah. I have... Now I'm going to bust your ass for those three bags and I'm going to nail you for picking your feet in Poughkeepsie. Yeah, the picking your feet in Poughkeepsie. I don't get that. No. I I have a tasty about it. Okay, good. If I remember to say it. I have, uh, what about you, Sal? Are you everything they say you are? Mm. And then when they were testing it, he said, 89% pure junk. Best I've ever seen. If the rest is like this, you'll be dealing on this load for two years. And this was also the, the time when, like, I'm okay. I'm not a hustler. I don't know about drugs and all of that kind of thing. Um, but I was just like, 
Well, luckily we have someone on the podcast who does. <laughs> yeah. I, it never occurred to me that, 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 oh, it was pure. And then as it goes out, that it just gets cut and cut and cut. And then that's how, because it says by the time it gets down to nickel bags, it'll be worth at least 32 million. So I was just like, oh, that's how they do it. Mm-hmm. I always just thought it was like, nope. And then you just put that and then, and then, well, like, oh. that's but, a straight shot to stairway to heaven because that isn't that you. what they're doing now. And that's also a thing that I don't understand now is like, like how they're like cocaine and stuff and they're cutting everything with fentanyl. Like you're killing your supply. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like you're killing your you're clientele. Killing your customers. I mean. Yeah. yeah. Like, how is that good business? Again, these are this is why I'm poor and I don't understand things. It's not the 70s anymore. Um, but the taglines. So this was these are two of the taglines. I'm like, these are these are problematic. There are no rules and no holds barred when Popeye cuts loose. Yeah. I'm like, it's a it's a bit of a problem. I don't it know if you should be glorifying it, that. Yeah. And then this one, Doyle is bad news, but a good cop. Yeah. <laughs> no, because he had gotten another police officer killed on the whatever he was working on before this <clears throat> because of his hunches. So, okay. So, my LVP is the very, very end of the movie when they tell what happened to all the people that were real in this movie. And uh, everybody except the TV personality didn't even do time. And and the bad dude evidently has lived a long and happy life. He's probably dead by now, but he was never caught. And all the drugs that they confiscated went missing. They did? They all went missing. Oh, wow. Where do I have that? Oh, wow. After one year, at the one year after the film was made, the huge cache of heroin disappeared. So somebody made it. It was real heroin. Yeah. In the movie, they used real heroin. Real heroin. When they did the uh, the 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 purity test, that was real heroin. Wow, real chemistry on display. Oh my gosh! uh, Cointelpro. I mean, in seventy-one. Wow. Other LVPs. Oh, we're doing LVP right now. Popeye, solely for the fact that he had a sign that said Popeye's Den in his apartment. <laughs> That's the only reason I'm sticking to it. Anybody with that sign deserves to be yeah. my OVP. Yeah, I agree. It's a, you're going, all of, the, the, red. All of the, the harassment, all that, the being a, I'm going by my hunches. Popeye, I'm a good... No, but when you have the... The straw that broke the camel's yeah. back is when you Popeye's got the den. Popeye's den. Exactly. Any woman that walks in there knows what she's dealing with, and she mm-hmm. needs to turn around or handcuff him to his own bed. Mm-hmm. There you have it. I my LVP, my LVP is propaganda. I mm-hmm. while I did find that, I think that these this is a good like 
you can I found this film highly entertaining and highly enjoyable. Two things can be true at the same time. But I also However, recognize that it is propaganda. Mm-hmm. Like, let's point out, okay, Popeye, I, I kind of let it slide, as I said earlier, about Popeye shooting the hitman in the back. Mm-hmm. But he straight up killed an FBI agent. Albeit mm-hmm. that FBI agent was probably going down, bro. But... but. But this is the FBI agent who didn't like Popeye because he blamed Popeye's recklessness for getting another cop killed. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and catches a bullet. Mm-hmm. And Cloudy is like, yo, you just killed an FBI guy. And, and Popeye was like, re- emptying his bullet to reload it. And he's just, uh, so? The guy didn't like me. So I found an Entertainment Weekly article from 2021 because that was the 50th anniversary of this film. And the director... Um, Friedkin, he said, quote, today's somewhat different. Cops are still often out of control, but these guys were no bigots. They were acting to stay alive. And I'm like, but so are the people they were beating. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. And then he, then he goes on to say, it was a different time, but those guys, but what those guys were doing back then was largely an act to stay alive in the streets. If they didn't act like the bullies they appear to be, they wouldn't be alive now. I was like, oh, wow. Now, this is interesting because this is further in the article because at the beginning of the article, it talks about how Freakin said, I don't think I'd make a cop film today, but if I did, it wouldn't be much different. I would try to capture the action and the dialogue that persists and exists today. I don't celebrate the behavior, but I'm fascinated by it. And he mm-hmm. does then then he goes on to say all of this stuff about how they weren't bigots, they were just bullies trying to stay alive. And then yeah. he's like, but then he's like, but they did go too far. And that's just that's a very easy, nice thing for a man in his position to be able to say because yeah. his life and his family's life wasn't yeah. ruined. Like he's he, you going know, home to his whole family. Yeah, he's not getting beat up and roughed up by the cops right. for just going after work to have a beer. At, at a local mm-hmm. bar, you know, he's not getting his teeth kicked in. Um, he's not trying to take care of his family because the wealth that his family was rightly deserved at every turn has been blocked by the government, you know, like his general, he, general, generally generational wealth, wealth, you know, was he, nil. Right, he his uh, family's, you know, wasn't like, oh, hey, we're in Tulsa, we're okay. You don't want to give us anything? We'll make our own thing, and then it gets burned down. You know who also died this week? That just to not, I definitely don't want to get a shout out, but this was the first time I saw a picture of this woman, and I was like, huh. Um, the woman who lied on Emmett Till died in the oh um, yeah. In her ripe old eighties, like that's one of those things where you think about history and it's like, oh, that, that seems so long ago. Sometimes you're like, oh, but she's still alive. Like she's still alive. So he was. She was alive. able to live to eighty what? Six or something. Eighty six. Yeah, something like that. And I saw I saw a picture of her. And look, this is going to be problematic, <laughs> but I don't I don't fucking care. She lied on she lied on a fourteen year old boy. Yeah. And like never felt any sort of way about it and you can say well you don't know maybe she did but look you can 
Google what they did to Emmett Till mm-hmm. because his mother was like, this is what they did to my son. He was a 14-year-old boy. I don't know why. And this this is this is a comment on caste and white supremacy. I will admit it because this... I pictured her as like looking like January Jones or like mm-hmm. Charlize Theron. Like mm-hmm. I pictured an icy, blonde, blue-eyed woman. And that woman looked more akin to a traditional Disney villain. She had dark hair, like dark features. She just looked like a Disney like a Disney villain. And there's there's colorism and class involved in there because she had dark hair and stuff. And then and spoiler alert, I know what she did. But I was I was kind of like, there's no way that I'm to whistle at you, lady. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> that boy did not whistle at you. You lied. <clears throat> so yeah, like she got to live a nice long life. She didn't look anything like what I thought she would. Did you bring up the picture, Teeny? No. Oh, okay. What's um, your name? I saw it already. I don't know her name. I, I, the things I saw weren't even posting her name. Yeah, just, just. I, I feel like it. Maybe that was like a, a an AP kind of like final. <laughs> Like f you, cause they she looked. But then on it was that's what I kind of thought too. But then on Instagram, people were like, "Post her name." Like I think so that people would know her family. So I was like, I was hoping they would do it as a fuck you. But then I was like, I wonder if they're doing to protect other people related to her. Maybe I don't like I don't know. They did. They definitely did. I'll take it as a fuck you. I was more taking the picture as a fuck you, cause I was like, oh, that's what she like. It was a very Right, Ma? Yeah. She accused him of grabbing her and verbally abusing her, not verbally threatening her. Yeah. I think that, I, I don't know if it was the AP, but whatever like news organization I saw, they had the picture of, you see like a cute 14-year-old Emmett Tail picture, and then you see her, and it was a very, it was very opposite of what we have viewed, what, American history has usually done is that it usually has the, you know, the young black boy being menacing looking and, and all of that. And the angelic, you know, Oh, look at the victim. But in this case, I was like, yo, she looks straight up like Disney went and was like, uh, a little splash of Cruella, a little splash of Ursula, a little splash of like, yeah, I'm I'm not going to say her name. If you want to know it, you can look it up, but, yeah, it's not even her name. It was just when I saw that picture of her of like, well, that bitch. Man. That's her name. That bitch. That bitch. Uh, oh, what is it? A fuck? A fuck? Bitch. Girl? What did we do? Fuck bitch? I oh. So. oh. I mean, it's gotta, oh. be, it's gotta be a charter member of the, of the fuck bitch. Now I have to look her name back up. Okay, we are to MVP. And what this film is known for is that car chase chasing mm-hmm. the um the um what's it called there, Teeny? Not the tube, the the elevated the train. The subway. Yeah, the subway. Yeah, but it the was elevated, elevated subway. Mm-hmm. 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 And tasty titties, they didn't get the proper 
permits to do that scene. No. But a, a whole bunch of the police officers who were part of this, um, the investigation into this whole sm smuggling thing were like, oh, yeah, we'll help. You know, and so they oh, just—that's how they did it. Shut down parts of of the street, but some of it. I mean, some of the near misses were like not real. Like a lot of it, it's real. The um the the woman with the baby carriage was choreographed, but other than that, that some of the near misses were just truly near misses, and and there was a stunt driver, and. Uh, the director was in the back seat of the car with a handheld camera doing um, Gene Hackman. And then there was a camera on the, on the front fender to do the, but yeah, I mean, any if you didn't watch it going, Oh, ow, ooh, then yeah, it, I thought it was, um, they couldn't be done today. They wouldn't allow it, but. Yeah. And they said that the subway so they didn't get the, they asked the guy in charge of the subway. Yes. Um, they wanted permission to film and he was like, no, it would never be, it would never be. There's never been a crash on the, other, on the above ground subway like that. Like we wouldn't do that. And so he was like, well, what would it take to film? So he said $40,000 and a one-way ticket to Jamaica. And he was like, why one-way ticket? And he was like, because I'm getting fired if I approve this. And <laughs> apparently he gave him 40. He did. He went, he took his 40,000 and lived happily ever after in Jamaica. There you go. Well, to piggyback on that. So you, the camera that's on the bumper, that was what they call undercranked. So with film to mimic the human eye, Usually everything is 24 frames per second, and that's just what you see in that standard. If you undercrank a film to 18 films per second, which is what they did, and then you play it back, it creates the illusion of speed. So oh. that bumper camera was undercranked, so it gave it like even more speed. Oh, see why we need you? Then it was also edited to Santana's cover of Black Magic Woman. Uh -huh. But the song didn't make it into the film, but the rhythm of the shots, because it was edited to the music. So that's why it's such a rhythmic um, sequence. William Friedkin said that he would never do the chase scene again. It was way too dangerous. He said he was lucky that no one got hurt. He did it without permission and out of control. I think it's interesting um, in both the good and the bad of how right. it was with cops. So the cops were like, okay, mm -hmm. like we'll take it amongst ourselves. But yet, like it's still, that's still New York City. It's still Brooklyn. Yeah. Like, and William Freakin is like, how, like it is just a miracle that nobody got hurt because a lot of those crashes and near misses, they were choreographed to be near misses, but a lot of them that like, that was real. They just kept going. You but know, and they whole... said, um, sorry, go ahead. And other tasty titty is that William Friedkin edited the car chase scene to the Santana cover of black magic woman. Did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, it it didn't make it in because it was just it the didn't rhythm. make it in the but now i want to watch it with it i know you yeah could do like the wizard of oz like uh pink floyd thing yeah see how it matches up but but the whole 
the whole thing of Popeye Doyle was that chase thing. Like, no, this isn't the way to do it. We're just out there. We're just going, we're going 180 miles an hour. We're just going to do it. And then whatever happens, happens. And that's how Popeye Doyle yeah. looked, at, looked at his job. I'm going for it 100 miles an hour. What works, works. What doesn't, doesn't. Who gets killed? I'm sorry. Moving on. Yeah, but that's but that's the end. That's only paying attention. Like you're just so lucky that there wasn't a kid that was just walking to the bodega. It's called narcissism. Yeah, but so um, so then it was in this Entertainment Weekly 50th anniversary interview with the director, and they were like, "So, what do you think?" Because he was also friends with Steve McQueen, and yeah. Steve McQueen a few years earlier had done bullet and there's a great chase scene in bullet and so anytime that steve mcqueen was someplace where william friedkin was um already and william friedkin would walk in steve mcqueen would go oh there's the man who did the second great greatest chart car chase scene in history um and so then the interviewer asked william friedkin well what do you think is the greatest you know chase scene or whatever and he said that the greatest chase scenes were by buster keaton how those were works of art and he well said done. that he had never seen Buster Keaton before he had done the French Connection. He watched really? Buster Keaton films like, yeah, after it. And he said, quote, had I seen these, I never would have done a chase because I never could have come near to what he was in his chase scenes. Well done. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, well done. Teenie, who was your MVP? I put the chase scene also. Also, I put the commit. I actually put the commitment to getting the chase scene. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Although dangerous, I like the grit in getting it. As long as you aren't anywhere in the vicinity when that's happening. Yeah. Ooh, or my yeah. son. It's wild now how um, they, they, yeah, they would never do that now because, I mean, no. shoots now are so tightly controlled. Oh, my God. And, yeah. My MVP, I put the director of photography, Owen Roisman. Because of just how great mm -hmm. the cinematography of everything. Mm -hmm. And I have more. Well, because, okay, so this film was shot in a documentary film style. And mm -hmm. it was heavily influenced by a 1969 French political thriller called Z. This film sounds great. It's Z? A, yeah, Z. I've heard it's of a, this. The French film. It's oh, it's kind of like this film. How it's it's based on true events of a 1963 Greek assassination, and so in that film, it's obviously a scripted film, but it's shot to look like a documentary. And William Friedkin, the director, wait, is his name William Friedkin? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's Friedkin. I don't know if it's William. Yeah, it's, it's William. I I had it right. So his first films he got his start in filmmaking making documentaries and it wasn't until he saw z that he was like oh i can shoot a narrative film in the same way as i shoot a documentary film it was just like a light bulb went off in his head and so it had never occurred to him before that so that's why especially i could definitely see it all throughout the movie but especially when the sound goes out like i mentioned before and they're ripping up the car mm -hmm. it just had a very documentary feel very handheld the camera was moving around and stuff so i thought that that was very interesting and that's why he was my mvp outstanding i couldn't give it to william friedman be freaking after all of his wishy-washy cop stuff yeah 
Yeah. Okay, I did not do a recasting. Well, he said that, like, I think that this is a great film, but, and William Friedkin even said that he wouldn't make a cop film today. And I'm like, let's not remake another copaganda film. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, why don't we make the Citizens Commission to investigate the FBI heist yeah. film? Like, yeah. where is that? The Coentel heist film thing? It's a heist? It's white people? You know, it's not like, like oh, we have to, like, <laughs> a lot of the main characters are white people. We, like, what the fuck? Where is that, that film? It's a heist. Could it be that it, that it's uh, nobody wants to y'all don't want to know the truth? It's yeah. just it's what just crazy. That? It's just crazy that those that was like 50 years ago. Those papers came out. And I feel like it's only within the last maybe four or five years that people know like, oh, yeah, Coentel Pro. Oh, yeah. They were wiretapping Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, yeah. Like one of the FBI informants like in the. The Fini Shakur um, thing, they point out that the man who gave uh, Malcolm X's last breaths was a paid informant. Like, you know, there's just yeah. so much. Like, mm-hmm. I just pointed out earlier the actual stuff that was in the thousand papers. Like, there is right. no direct tie to the FBI killing Malcolm X. It's just that nobody ever was, you know, charged or like put mm. forth, but this man was a snitch and he was right there, like the first one to assistant aid. So, I mean, it's just mm. wild. But yeah, where's that movie? Okay, we're to Tasties. So in the very beginning, the straw hat, putting the straw hat on the back of the uh the car the yeah what did that called. mean that means that it's a new it's an uh, undercover cop on duty so that other co- other cops would walk by and go oh we're not going to ticket that uh... It's, uh, yeah um okay we already talked about the chase scene there were no proper permits off-duty new york city officers many involved in the real case Helped control the traffic, camera on the bumper, freaking in the back seat with the camera. Because anybody else on the film, yeah. any um, of the uh, uh, camera people, the what are they called? The camera, camera men? People, the camera mm-hmm. operators? They had, they were married with children. And freaking <laughs> went, I'm not until if this, if, if I don't make it, then at least I don't have, I'm not leaving a family behind. That's he knew how dangerous it was. All the extras in the first bar scene were real officers. Roy Scheider and Gene Hackman patrolled with Eddie Egan and Sam Grosso. Eddie Egan decided to retire and go to Hollywood, but charges of minor errors in reporting and handling evidence. Uh, Due to that, he was dismissed from the force just hours before he retired. Therefore, he lost his pension. Oh, wow. I Mm. didn't know that. But I didn't really go into his whole like Wikipedia page because I was just like, I don't I know. I know. But um, 
later it was appealed and there was a reversal. So he got his pension. Yeah, I feel like he was a man who had friends in many places and they were like, oh, he he's a rough around the edges, but he was a good cop. We got to exactly. look out around our yeah. own. So, yeah, there's lots of problems, yeah. but... Okay, Steve McQueen was offered the role, but he'd already done Bullet. He didn't want to do it again. Uh, Lee Marvin and James Kahn and our own Paul Newman was offered mm-hmm. the role. Oh. But Paul Newman was outside of their budget. They, he just cost yeah, too much. He, yeah, he was who they the director wanted, but can't afford it. Okay, me. so on 128 Myrtle Avenue in Brooklyn, there is at the time of my research a Popeye's chicken. Popeye's chicken was named after Popeye Doyle. Wait, Louisiana, the Louisiana kitchen was named after Popeye Popeye's Doyle? chicken was named after Doyle. But that, you're, the black lady in the commercial that is selling me fried chicken that is not problematic in any way, I am being She's sarcastic lying here, to you anyway. is lying to me about the, the Louisiana chicken? So the, the recipe could still be from Louisiana. The club, the recipe, right. The club where he did the milkshake with the, the drugs so that he, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that is where the first Popeye's chicken was. According to my research, this could all be bullshit because I found it on IMBD. Wow. So you, That's well. That's also nearby <laughs> the Wegman. The Wegmans is right around there too. So you mean to tell me the Popeye's chicken like I I mean what? Why you haven't I, ever thought twice about it? Yeah, like the, <laughs> the black people owned Popeyes and chicken. <laughs> no, this is America. What are you I'm you played yourself, Aaron. You played yourself. What are you thinking? Well, well, well. I mean, I knew the colonel because he he's dressed in plantation but but if you put in Popeye's chicken original place it says okay no New Orleans New Orleans who invented Popeye's chicken yeah New Orleans so I guess maybe that was the first New York Popeye's chicken May, or maybe he liked know. the name Popeye and he named it Popeye's after Doyle. And then he was like, you know what? It's going to be hilarious. We're going to, we're going to. first franchise was in Baton Rouge. There so, you yeah. go. So I have just been victimized by my phone and. Was it Wikipedia? <laughs> the internet? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows what's real? So, so eventually there was a Popeye's at the location where oh probably not <laughs> probably it's probably all bullshit it's all well, bullshit i have, I have well, something where i'm looking at 128 later. myrtle avenue yeah mm-hmm. 1128 myrtle avenue 1128 1128 myrtle avenue that's different that's a totally different part of town exactly that is the popeyes under the subway that i get off of to go to my gym see Mm-hmm. Um, that is right beside a Dunkin' Donuts. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Name for another thing. cop. <laughs> Name yeah. for for Duncan. For Duncan Duncan. <laughs> I've never been to that Popeyes, but I can smell the chicken every time. Well, at least so there is a Popeyes is, there. At least that is factual. Okay. So wow, this, this, so much. Are those all My your tasties? tasties. Mm-hmm. This was one of the first films to show the World Trade Center in the background. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. It was. It was being constructed, right? It was also one of the. I think the North Tower was done, and the South Tower was being in progress. That means yeah, the French something... dude was looking to do the uh, the tightrope walk across. It. Oh yeah, yeah, love that. Uh, yeah, that is great. Cause that was one of the nineteen. A lot happened in nineteen seventy-one. That was just one of the thing. I, I'm pretty sure one of the towers. But I ha- I had to cut for time. Yeah, I know. And there were so many more tasties. I just I I ran out of room on in my little journal. And then there is a cocktail called the French Conne- French Connection. Oh, I'm interested. That. I was going to make that in of the ingredients, and it's raining. Um, equal parts cognac and amaretto. Okay. It is that... named for the Gene Hackman film of the same name. Okay. Oh, uh, I don't have cognac. to do that. Is cognac? Is that is Hennessy like a cognac? Yeah. Yeah. So it's Hennessy. Interesting that it's like Hennessy and like amaretto. And yeah, it's the amaretto French is kind of a sweetie, uh, sweet. And amaretto is Italian, yes. Well, I just know the ingredients of the cocktail. I'm not the expert on the liqueurs here, okay? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, it's hard to be the... And, and yes, amaretto of... is Italian. See? Meaning, coming from the word amaro, meaning bitter. Bitter. However, yeah. the bitterness of amaretto tends to be a bit mild, and sweeteners enhance the flavor in the final product. Thus, one can Thank interpret you. the liqueur's name as the description of the taste as a little bitter. Cyanide is processed out of the almond preparation before its uses. Mm. Okay. There you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you have it. So it rounds it, up my whole personality. You get some Hennessy and some amaretto, and you have the French connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, thank you. I'd try it. I know you would. Is that all that you all have for the tasty titties? Mm. I'm out. I have that this film is considered one of the greatest films of all time. It always yeah, comes up. It's um, always on a list. It was nominated for eight Academy Awards, Best Supporting Actor, Roy Scheider, Best Cinematography, and Best Sound, and it won five. It won Best Film Editing, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actor, Gene Hackman, Best Director, and Best Picture. That's that's uh, pretty much... I was going to say trifecta, but it's kind of a quatrifecta. No, a single? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 A single. A foomf. A foomfecta. <laughs> um, it's. William. Okay. Here. I had the same thing happen to me with Wikipedia. So I read that William Freakin was living with Howard Hawks's daughter. Howard Hawks is a big time oh, film director, right? Yes. Yes. And yes. he was talking to, to Hawks and he said, Howard Hawks said that William Freakin's films were lousy. And he said, quote, make a good chase, make mm-hmm. one better than anyone's done. Mm-hmm. But then in that Entertainment Weekly interview, I read that William Freakin was like, no, that's a complete lie. 
Uh-huh. He was like, I was living, I was with his daughter, but his daughter hadn't seen him in like 16 years or something. It had been a long time. They oh. were, I guess you could, I don't know the reasons, but I'll use the word estranged. And then estranged. Howard Hawks reached out. And so then they went to visit and it was one time and they just met once and they didn't discuss film at all. And William Freakin has no idea where that whole story came from. Huh. Yeah. So wild see wikipedia who knows who kn- yeah. take take everything that you hear on gone with the bushes with a grain of salt except the institutional racism of this country that is fact <laughs> everything else you take it with a grain of salt but we do say well, i got this from wikipedia so take mm-hmm. it as you will there were so many people that were up for this uh like William Freakin' didn't really want Gene Hackman to to be in it. It wasn't that he didn't want him. There were just so many other actors. At one point, there was a newspaper man, Jimmy Breslin, had no acting experience whatsoever. But William Freakin' was friends with him and thought that he would be a good character. And oh. and and, uh, and so he the thing was they would do a screen test one day and Jimmy was great. The next day he sucked. Yeah, because he wasn't he was an great. actor. Yeah. Right. And then he found out that it was going to be a chase scene, so he needed to be behind the wheel of a car. And apparently, according to Wikipedia, Jimmy Breslin promised his mother on her deathbed that he would never drive. <laughs> so, Well, you know, it was Brooklyn, New York's situation. So he was like, oh, I need to oh. be... I need to be behind the wheel. I need to drive. Nope. And so he got fired. So lesson, then, be careful what you promise your mother on her deathbed. Yeah. I make no promises. So then there's, um, P- is it Peter Boyle? He was the, the father yes. and everyone loves Raymond. He, yes. they really wanted him, but he was like, he I had don't been want- in a very problematic movie before. Yeah. That. Mm. And he he didn't like the violence involved, and so he he interesting because like, no. he was in Joe, which was an extremely violent. But maybe experience. that was, you know, maybe he did it, and he was like, this wasn't worth the money. Yeah, and because it was I mean, an awful movie, actually. It worked out for the best of him, and so in you know Gene Hackman, he got the role. Um, they already said it was based on all the true events, so I guess yeah, that that's it. That's. I mean, there's so many more because it's one of the great films, and it is. Yes. It's the duality. You can enjoy this film at the same time, but also recognize the faults and the 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 negative aspects of American society that it reinforced and that exactly. people never really thought to dig under because it would make people uncomfortable in the status quo, you know, that kind of thing. And we don't want Susie to be uncomfortable. Um. So, yeah, you can watch it and you can go, wow, this was a great film, but man, this police situation is fucked up. And I will notice, I will notice, I will add that like in the, in all the shootouts, like in the shootouts at the end, I did notice how, oh, it makes sense now the militarization of the police force because Mm. that started happening once the Korean War, once the Vietnam War was winding down that that's when police agencies started getting the surplus yes. of the military mm-hmm. um, weapons and whatnot. So that mm-hmm. whole shootout, that's why now you look at the police, they show up and they look like, um, you know, the military, the, the militarization of the police. Right. But then the people on the other end 
at this point would have even better weapons than the police. Sometimes at this point. And also, like, it is interesting how it was the, the French and that at this point in history, um, most of the heroin was coming in from the France. That, like, the French connection was a real thing. Mm-hmm. And so you're mm-hmm. kind of like, if, if the French had maybe <laughs> kept it more uh, Western European, Northern Western European, and then they figured out pharmaceutical trade and then they're like this is how we do it legally Mm -hmm. i'm just saying hot takes hot takes spinning out i was also going to say um i was looking up brooklyn in in 1970s i remember watching sex in the city and at the end of sex in the city 2004 miranda moves to brooklyn and um Carrie Bradshaw is like, you're leaving Manhattan? Oh, my God, you're moving to Brooklyn? But now Brooklyn is uh, a thriving metropolis of its own. But I will say, because I, I was watching Will and Grace, and Great Grace moves to Brooklyn at one point to get married. And if you're living in Manhattan and your friend lives in Brooklyn, it's basically like in, you live in two different states. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even That's if right. you live on the opposite side of Brooklyn, it's even worse. It's like in the in Los Angeles, somebody's in the valley, somebody's in the west side. I'm like, God damn, that, goodbye. But yeah, now people don't, the people that work from home, Adam never goes to Manhattan. Right, right. I'll be, this will be the first, I'm excited to re-witness Los Angeles when they come to visit. (laughs) This will be exciting. Speaking of which, we will not be together next week. But the following week after I've had a vacay in SoCal, after our four or five year hiatus, um, what film will we be doing? Well... We are going to go back to the 60s. Oh. 1966. We're going to be in subtitles, I believe, this week. Oh. I know. Um, it's... I'm trying to find a way to not give it away, but... Uh, the Battle of Algiers. N- absolutely not. <laughs> Wait, what was the one that she was like, Fiddler on the Roof? Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, it's a Swedish film. Oh. Wait, wait, wait. Who the was that? Seal. Who was that Swedish director yeah, that's that? The, the um, Bergman. Bergman and Ingmar Bergman. Scenes Ing- from a Marriage. No. The Seventh Seal. Starring B.B. Oh, Anderson and Liv Ullman. Oh no. Liv Ullman. Yeah, she was the yeah, she was all about it. It's an ignore. Oh no. So now I'm blanking. I'm be like, oh yeah, it was that. It's only 84 minutes long, so but it's gonna be artsy because Ingmar Bergman artsy. Blair watched this recently and told me it was good. I thought she said so she said so interesting. Defies the bad or good dichotomy. Oh, she is much smarter than I am. So wow. um, 
I don't know what that means. Um, it is strawberry something. No. Oh. Written and produced by Ingmar Bergman. Cinematography Sven. You're gonna have fun with names for this one. Oh, oh that's gonna be fun. I'm gonna butcher these white people's names. And I'm gonna be like Lars <laughs> Johan the world. Verl. Would you like me to tell you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna be irritated because I'll be like, oh yeah. Persona. Oh no, not what I was expecting. Persona. 1966. Nice. And where can we watch Persona? I don't know, but Blair watched it, so <laughs> I, guess, I think it. like HBO Max, maybe. Oh, let's see. Persona. I don't know what this is. It's about um I Googled it and one of the first things was persona. I put persona film and then under it was explained. <laughs> oh oh wow. great. Oh, it is on it's HBO. It's about Max. an actress and something an actress and her doctor maybe or something who don't speak anymore oh elizabeth is a stage actress who suddenly stops speaking and moving which the doctors have determined as a result of willpower rather than physical or mental illness Mm. elizabeth is distressed in the hospital by television images of a man's self-immolation during the vietnam war wow who knows what we're getting into I am intrigued. There's so many things. Are There's Elizabeth a whole section. And Alma the same person. There's a what whole section the of um, identity and do. Oh wait, uh, themes and interpretations is very long in Wikipedia. <laughs> well, you, you said Bergman. I'm just like, oh, yeah. And one of the one of the sections is vampirism. So, wow, we are in for it. Who knows? A psychological drama revolving around two women. In an isolated seaside house, one is a successful actress who suddenly, and it doesn't tell me anymore. Stops oh, this is Rotten Tomatoes. Moving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, arguably Bergman's finest film. Wow. Oh, okay. Well, I, okay. Color well, me intrigued. Who knows? But it had a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Better part, but it's 15 minutes long because we're like, I don't know. <laughs> Who the ah. fuck knows? We will redo this Wikipedia page and you can determine for yourself. Exactly. Blair? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Blair. I love the Blair influence. Nice. Me too. I'm excited. Well, yeah, hey, Tina I was shocked bangers. to find out it wasn't in French. Oh, okay. Oh, just high class. We got high class friends. We'll just. We I, got, I was surprised it was Swedish and not French. I wanted oh, to do yeah. a Bergman. See, we're 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 branching out. We're slowly dipping our toes. Soon we'll be in the Brunwell. And look who's bringing us Bergman. Mm-hmm. I like this. Opening this up. Yeah, I am. I'm going to be fascinated. Okay, and we have two weeks. In which two? And we will, when we come back, Ma and I will have been to the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Museum, the new oh. one that opened in LA. Yes. So we might just have tisty, tisty taties. Tisty taties. Mm. <laughs> For daisies. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
Hmm. Well, this has been the French Connection. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the next time we're together, Persona. Wow, we are going highbrow. I might have to put on something. A kimono. I might have to wear the kimono. You're gonna have to bust out a kimono. You gotta be yeah. an artist. And then yeah. you'll be you'll you'll say a word like juxtaposition and just stop on the podcast. Yeah, and did it's you like, like that? Did you like the word yeah, juxtaposition? Yeah, but it's an, it's an audio medium. So the, the people can't see your your pride in your eyes. <laughs> you just stop. <laughs> I'm like, did you see? <laughs> Okay, listeners, this has been the French Connection, and the next time we're together, Persona. I keep wanting to add non grata. I don't know. <laughs> persona, non grata. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.